Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. Well, we're going to conclude our Lionhearted series this morning that has been through the book of Daniel, but as we've been teaching through the book of Daniel, preaching through the book of Daniel, a lot about lions in the book of Daniel. Daniel and the lion's den is the most popular account, of course, but we talked about that lions are roaring all through the book of Daniel, and we talked about really how the, the book of Daniel was interwoven through the book of Revelation, and so we're going to conclude our series by just going to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. This is John, uh, the apostle John, one of the 12 apostles, also known as John the Revelator because he was later in life on the Isle of Patmos. Um, According to church history and some legend, John is probably the only apostle that was not martyred, that died a natural death. And so he is now of old age on the Isle of Patmos. And on the Lord's Day, he was worshiping and just spending time in prayer because you never know what is going to happen when you worship the Lord and spend time in prayer. And it doesn't matter if you're in a church service or in your car or your prayer closet. It's when you, I'm telling you, when you access the heavenlies, you never know what God is going to do. And this is part of John's vision. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one, because uh, no offense lefties, but the right hand in the Bible is just the position of power. So uh, you might be a lefty, but you can still access the right-handed promise of God. It's okay. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. He's seated because his job is done. You don't sit down until you're finished with the task. And so this is a picture of the best of the best, the right-handed promises of God, accomplished by the one Jesus Christ who has died and resurrected. And so he's done his part, and so he's able to sit down. The one who was sitting on the throne, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. Seven is a number of completion. It was like sealed, sealed. And I saw a strong angel who shouted in a loud voice because there are some situations in life that the strength of your muscles or the loudness of your voice just won't be able to unlock. Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one, no one on heaven, in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. And then, then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. Do you know, do you see the, the increase in John's frustration level? John wasn't, John wasn't frustrated at the beginning of the vision. It was uh, talking about the seven churches. He was talking about God was going through different things. He was, uh, by the way, Revelation, the book of Revelation, I got to tell you, with a couple of Bible degrees under my belt, I'm confused. So um, it, is a, it is a tough book to read, but uh, here's a key to understanding the book, book of Revelation. It's found in the very beginning of chapter 1. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
okay? So that's, that's just a safe way to read all of Scripture. If you don't understand a Scripture, go to Jesus. Like, go straight to the cross. Read the, read the Scripture and go straight to Jesus. That'll keep you safe when you read the book of Revelation. And so, uh, John, but John's not frustrated, but here, here his frustration level begins to increase. And, and, and his frustration level, catch this, his frustration level increases with a closer proximity to the promise. Have you found in life that you're not frustrated when you're far? Like, like let me explain it like this. If I were to go, go over to Kids World this morning and find a first grader who's now getting ready to go into second grade, and uh, maybe I scanned the audience and found one that was a, looked a little bit frustrated and walked over to him, hey, buddy, what's going on? He's like, oh. So glad you asked, Pastor Doug. See, I was doing a little bit of calculating, and I realized that I'm going into second grade, and I realized that I have 1,980 days before I graduate. And to be honest with you, it's just a little bit overwhelming. I'm dealing with a little bit of frustration. You know, you're probably, probably not going to find a first grader, a rising second grader, who's frustrated with graduation because the promise is far. Like, all he's thinking is, like, am I going to get ice cream after lunch? All, all that, that's, but if you take a couple of months ago, a senior that's still sitting in calculus class, watching the time tick off the clock, they are extremely frustrated because senioritis has all in their body. You get more frustrated the closer you get to your promise. Are you, are you following me? So, so ladies, when you were 12 years old and you were laying on your bed with your diary out and doodling and journaling about your wedding day someday and dreaming about horses and birds and your knight in shining armor or whatever, I have never read a 12-year-old's diary. So if you're like, that's not what, oh, I don't know. I'm just giving you examples, okay? But, but chances are, here's my guess, is that in that moment, you weren't frustrated. <laughs> when were you frustrated? 14 days before your wedding when that one bridesmaid had still not ordered her dress and eight relatives had not returned their RSVP cards, even though you clearly put your return address and a stamp on the postcard and all Uncle Matt had to do was check the box and put it. That's when you got frustrated. You got frustrated as the promise got closer. And so here's what the Lord wants to tell somebody in the house this morning. Don't get frustrated at your frustration. What your frustration, what the increase in your frustration means is you're closer to your promise than you've ever been in your life. So here's how you can answer the question tomorrow morning when you stroll into the office. Hey, how you doing this morning? I am so frustrated. Don't, don't be frustrated at Frustration, sometimes when your frustration increases, the clo that's the closer you are to your promise. I heard one preacher talk about you got to learn to make friends with frustration. Leaders, can I just throw that nugget out to you? Leaders, you will always be frustrated. And that's a good thing because that means God is in you always pressing you on to get more territory. It's when we get too complacent. 
and too comfortable. And then we think all every, see, we want to get to the point in our lives where everything's okay. But when we get to the point in our lives when everything's okay, usually means that we're not taking more territory. So God gives us some breathers and he gives us some breaths. But I just want to encourage you in your frustration. Is that okay this morning? It's okay to be a little bit frustrated because that may be the spirit just pushing you on. And so John was frustrated. Here was the thing that John was frustrated about is that he was so close. That word, he could see that word. He could taste that word. He could almost reach out and touch it on that scroll, but it was locked up. We get frustrated spiritually in our lives when we are able to see things, like when they're close at hand, when you're, when you're close. I remember one time in elementary school, we were coming back from a vacation, on, I think it was, it was in Florida, and we got back to our house, and sometimes we didn't lock our house. We lived in the country. Any of you like that? You don't lock your house? I'm just looking for free Christmas presents. Yes, I see that. And the wife's like, don't tell people we don't lock our, but y'all, come on. You know who you are. You live, maybe live in a rural area. You just don't lock the house. You grew. How many of you grew up when you didn't lock the house? Now you got 15 deadbolts on it, I see. But, but like sometimes we didn't lock our house or we'd lock our house and we'd take the, the key. I think we just had one. Maybe we had a duplicate. Uh, one or two keys, and we would always hide the key in the same place in the garage. And I still, I, I really can't remember what happened. Maybe the uncle who was watching our dog at the time took the key and thought he was doing us a favor and locked the key inside the house. And so when we came back from vacation, we were locked out of the house. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to be locked out of your house when you were gone for 20 minutes. It's another thing to be locked out of your house when you were gone for a week. And the frustration, because you can see it, you see where you want to be, you see where you want to go, but you feel like you can't access it. And some of you, the greatest frustration in your life is you see the person you want to be. You see, you see the kind of life that you want to live. You see your victory on the other side of that temptation. You see yourself breaking through, but it feels like that thing, although it's within sight, it's not within your access. And so I want to preach you through this passage and talk to you how John discovered that you can access what I'm calling these locked up promises of God. Write these things down from the Word of God this morning. Number one, keys to accessing locked up promise. First, there's the roar of the lion. The roar of the lion. This is the culmination of the book of Daniel. This is the culmination of what we've been preaching about. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, but one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The heir to David's throne has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. To fully understand about the line of the tribe of Judah, we got to go back to the book of Genesis. The line of the tribe of Judah is one of the titles of Jesus himself. This originated from Jacob, as in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, one of the three patriarchs of the Hebraic and, and eventually the Christian faith. So Jacob becomes Israel. Jacob has 12 sons. And upon Jacob's death, he begins to prophesy. He calls them all into his bedside and begins to declare things to prophesy over their lives. And 
this is what he prophesies about one of his sons, Judah. Genesis 49, verse 8, Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion. That is finished eating its prey. Like a lion he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah. Nor the ruler's staff from his descendants. Listen to this now. Until the coming. Until the coming of the one to whom it belongs. The one whom all nations will honor. So Jacob's prophecy about his son Judah. Which the word Judah in Hebrew means praise. So this is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lion of praise. The roar of the lion is a roar of praise. So he prophesies over his son. You're going to have the roar of praise in you. And you will never depart from your throne. So King Solomon, King David, all the kings of the the uh, Old Testament were fall in line of the, of the lion of the tribe of Judah until the ultimate king, the king of kings, the lion of Judah, the one who has all praise within him, the one who is praise, came to this earth. And that's how Jesus gets this title is that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So we are saying that's great history. What does it mean for me? It means that when you accept Jesus into your life, you receive one of the things that you receive is you receive all of the attributes of the one you receive so that when you say yes to Jesus you receive the roar of the lion of praise within you and you know I know you're saying well I kind of sing off key it's still a roar like like the enemy doesn't he's not down there taking care of like different pitches your pray your praise is warfare I told, I told Pastor Steve, he was sharing this this morning. I said, I'm going to steal this and not give you credit. Well, I'm going to steal it, but at least I'm going to give him credit. He talked about, you know how when you f first saw the music, uh, uh, the movie Jaws, and there was that, that music, the two notes, right? Sometimes it all, all it takes is the enemy to play two notes, and your fear level goes, uh, dun, uh, like, you know, that's all, that's all it takes especially watching Shark Week on Discovery Channel. And you won't, eat, you won't go in your above-ground pool anymore because of uh, Shark Week at the Discovery Channel. But, but he's, I love the way Steve preached it. He flipped it. He said, he said, what if that's your praise? And what if that's how the enemy feels? You stand up on a Sunday morning and Corey strikes that and the drums are going. You say, watch out, devil. You start unleashing that praise, the enemy looking around saying, oh my goodness, I see fins swimming in the water around me. I better get out of their ocean. They're about to unleash praise on me. Your praise, your praise is a weapon. The Bible says in Psalm 149.6, let the high praises of God be in our mouths and a two-edged sword in their hands. Second Chronicles 20.21, and he consulted with the people and appointed singers, say singers, Singers for the Lord and those praising him in holy attire. As they went before those equipped for battle saying, praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever. So this is a fun scripture to preach. And it's fun to preach because there were battles in the Old Testament. Literal, you're saying spiritual battles? No, like real battles. Like on the other hill, here is the army. I see their horses, I see their chariots, I see their spears. They are well trained and they are coming at me. And we preach, hey, sometimes God sends the praise ahead of you for victory and like that preaches really well but can you imagine the worship team 
like that's not good news to the worship team, right? Because you've got all your trained swordsmen, you got your soldiers, you got Joshua there passing out the AK-47s, and then all of a sudden God's like, hey, I don't want the frontline soldiers to go first. Joshua's like, all right, I'm learning this. I'm learning to listen to you, God, and do what you say. He's like, who do you, who do you want? Because God, I see, like, I see the tips of their spears. My goodness, that's a well-trained army. And God says, I want you to send, I want you to send the bass player. And that's fine for you to say amen unless you're Lester. Like, unless you're the bass player. Because <laughs> Lester's over here thinking, are you serious? Here's the warriors. What am I going to do with my bass? Like, run, let, oh, boom, just bouncing bass guitar off somebody's head. Like, I don't know, John Kirk, I don't know what's going on all in here. This is more, there may be some legit weapons in this thing here. Like the shield, that's what I'd be carrying is the shield. But this is not, y'all, this is not good news for the praise and worship team that the piano player has to go before the guy with the, with the assault rifle. But somehow, say, say real battle. This is a real battle, and guess what God gives you to fight real battles? He gives you real weapons. And so you say, as a military commander, well, that sounds kind of silly. Uh, if I had a sword, why would I send praise ahead? Because the weapons that God gives you are not carnal. They are not the weapons of this world. Your praise is a weapon. And when you unleash praise, it is a real weapon. It is a real battle. I get it. I get it. But God said you keep losing the same battle because you're fighting with the weapons that the world uses. And so in the name of Jesus, put that weapon of bitterness down and pick up your praise. Put the weapon of unforgiveness down and pick up the weapon of praise. Put the weapon of gossip down and pick up your weapon of praise. That's how you win this thing. Come on, give him praise. I want you to practice this morning and give him praise in the house. And it's going to seem as silly to you now. As it did then, when somebody's gossiping about you and your weapon is praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. God, I praise you that you count me worthy enough to be talked about. I praise you that you count me worthy enough to be persecuted. God, you must see something in me that I don't see in myself, and I feel a warrior spirit rising within me, and it's not to tear the other person down. I'm going to say, look past. Look past. I want you to begin to look past the other person and look past the weapon of the other person person and look unto the one who hung on the cross for you and is now at the place of victory. That's how you direct your praise. That's how you direct your weapons. And then you combine that. This is, you want to talk about a one, two, lethal combo, knockout punch. You take the roar of the lion within you and, and, and pair that together with the blood of the lamb. <laughs> Watch out, devil. It's like it's over. It's over. Then I saw a lamb that looked 
like it had been slaughtered because in the kingdom there will always be things in your life that look defeated, but they are more full of victory and they're looking like defeat than if they hadn't been defeated. Then I saw a lamb that looked like it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. Where is the Holy Spirit? Every, every part of the earth? Is the, Holy, is the Holy Spirit in Muslim nations right now? Is the Holy Spirit behind terrorist lines right now? Is the Holy Spirit already gone ahead of you into the part of your week that you're dreading facing on Friday? Is the Holy Spirit at work in the relative's life that you're praying for? Is the Holy Spirit at work in your doctor's office? Every part of the earth, the sevenfold spirit, again representing of completion, the spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. That's why we can walk in confidence because there is no place in the earth and on the earth that is not the Lord's. It all belongs to him. And he stepped forward and he took the scroll from his right hand and from the one sitting on the throne. See, your promises are based on the blood of the lamb. Your promises are not based on your merit. And that's one of the ways one of the major ways that the enemy will keep promises out of your reach and out of your grasp is that he'll lie to you and say you're not worthy enough to receive that promise. Like that, that promise is good enough for the person sitting behind you because they're holier than you and they prayed five times this week and you only prayed three times. Like that's the kind of stuff that the enemy says. But the promises of God are not based upon your merit. They're based upon the blood of Jesus. And so if you're here and you say... Well, I feel unworthy to receive the promises of God. You're in great company because we all are. But Jesus' blood makes us worthy. And then it's the bowl of prayer. The bowl of prayer. So you take the roar of the lion, the blood of the lamb, and then the... So you said maybe I, I heard about the first two. Pastor, you've been preaching about the roar of the lion. And um, I've heard some about the, the blood of the lamb. But what is this bowl of prayer? Is it like are you are getting ritualistic on us? You're going to give us like bowls of incense when we walk out? Maybe. It's in the Bible. Uh, verse 8. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Do you know that God collects things? You ever, did, you, did you collect anything growing up? Anybody have a stamp collection, coin collection, doll collection, G.I. Joe collection, Star Wars figure collection, or the greatest collection of anything known to man, a baseball card collection? Like, that's what, I, that's what I grew up collecting. And so you had several things. You had the Beckett price guide. This was a monthly, if you, like, you were really getting into it, you'd get the Beckett magazine from, from Ski's Market, and you would go down through the Beckett, and you'd find that Ricky Henderson rookie card, and you'd see that it, it was worth $13, and it was going up in value. They had a little arrow that pointing up, or, or this card is going down in value. And, you know, collecting people like Tony Gwynn and Ryan Sandberg. And, and remember, like, you, you remember Vince Coleman and Ricky Henderson, like people that used to steal 100 bases a year? That's what I don't understand. These, you look at these baseball players now, 
and just to look at them physically, you're like, they're twice the athletes of the guys 20 years ago, and they can't steal 20 bases. I don't understand. But anyways, uh, I was watching, like, I, lo- I really enjoyed watching the, the MLB All-Star game this past Tuesday. One of the reasons I, I enjoyed watching that is I just find, had to find out who the good players were now. Like, I, all the guys that I grew up watching are retired or on the verge of retirement. And so you're watching these amazing people. But I collected, collected baseball cards. I kept track of the value. Um, kept them in clear plastic in your little three-ring binder. And it had, had clear plastic things that you'd put the good cards in there. And, and if it was a really, really good card, you might get a kind of like a plexiglass case. And you would slide that one in there. But I've found that you collect things that are of value to you. You collect things that are close to your heart. Do you know what God collects? God collects your prayers. He collects your prayers. I want to encourage somebody this morning who feels like even this week you prayed a prayer and, and the thought immediately came to you when you prayed. I don't know if God even heard that. God wants you to know that not only did he hear your prayer, It's collected in a bowl, like not on the outer courts of the heavens, not not somewhere out there. This bowl is in the throne room. It is at the most precious place to God. When you pray, you don't have to say the right words. You know, God collects prayers not because of the wording of them or how they are knit together. He collects them because they're words from his kids and he treasures those. God heard you the roar of the lion the blood of the lamb the bowl of prayer and then finally the song of praise the song of praise verse 9 and they sang a new song with these words you are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals and open it For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Thank you so much for joining us. Here at CFA Church, it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home. For more information about this community or to find out how you can connect, simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.